You're listening to the Ambition Incubator podcast, and I'm your host, Deirdre Morrison. I'll be sharing some bite-sized brain science, thought-provoking questions, and mind-bending ideas about how our brains work, change, learn, and adapt, and how we can use the knowledge emerging from the field of neuroscience to open up new possibilities and make the progress we want in all areas of our lives. Hello and welcome, and thank you for joining me today for an episode that I thoroughly enjoyed recording. Today, I'm joined by one of my favorite virtual friends, the smart, thoughtful, and insightful educator and entrepreneur, Keely Raven. Keely and I are gonna be talking about business journeys, developing as an entrepreneur, and Napoleon Hill. Keely and I have been reading Hill's classic Think and Grow Rich together in the dynamic style, which I mentioned in episode nine, and I've had some questions about that from people who wanted to hear more about it. So today, Keely and I are going to talk about how that works and share our thoughts and experience so you can get a feel for what it has given us that a regular solo reading wouldn't. Hey, Keely. Hi, Nice Deirdre. to see you again. Great to see you too. <laughs> and thank you for joining me today to discuss this book that we've been co-reading. And of course, uh, for anyone who doesn't know what we're currently reading, it is the business classic that is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Now, first of all, Keely, this is not the first time you've read this book. So I wonder, could you tell us when the first time you read the book was and what stage of your career you were at when you read it? Hmm. I first read it a long time ago. And I would have to say it must have been in the early 2000s, maybe. And that would have been before I started my own business solo but i may have may have been introduced to it because of network marketing i'm not sure but it was a long time ago it was a long time ago tell me what was the um what was the main message that you took from it at that time it's interesting that you asked that because now it's probably tainted with what i think now <laughs> but if i try to compartmentalize <laughs> You know, I only read it one time, and I'm not sure why that was, like, because it's a really powerful read. Perhaps I thought that I had learned what was inside the book, which was not true, but <laughs> that's what I thought. And it's something about the title, and it's that in order to achieve what you want, it has to first appear in your mind. I feel like that may have been what I took away. And then I thought mm -hmm. I knew that and kept going. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? I mean, I've I've read this one many times and I keep reading it and rereading it um with different people and sometimes with the same people. And one of the things that we always discover on rereading um and you know, going through it with the same people on multiple occasions is that it's always a different book because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they have developed and they've grown and they've learned a lot of things. And some of the things that maybe didn't fully land with them on the previous reading are now making a lot more sense. So what has your experience been of rereading it after a longish break? I'm really glad that I've picked it up again and that I've had the opportunity to discuss it. Um, because in my first reading, I don't, I think I was mostly reading it on my own. And now, 
with the opportunity to talk about what's inside can really develop um, ideas around what the author means, see various interpretations, talk about how it applies in one's life. It's definitely a, a richer experience reading it yeah. with someone. Absolutely. I, I, I totally agree with you. And <clears throat> I found that myself because this reading it with you was actually the first time I'd read it with an American, because this is a very American book, isn't it? And it is, it is written from a, a time and place in America that no longer exists, obviously, because it was it was written about 100 years ago. Um, but his his perspective is very much of his time and place in certain regards. But in other regards, he's way ahead of his time and he's very idealistic about things. And he's got um, he has a vision for what a future could be. Is, is there anything in that that, you know, as someone living in America now, um, you've picked up on? Sure. And one, it was so interesting when you pointed that out, that I was the first American that you'd read it with. And that <laughs> made me think about it because I never thought about the book being a, an American book. And now I can really see that. <laughs> so that was something that, you know, discussing with you definitely brought to the table for me and expanded my own experience. But I remember not too long ago, we had read something about tolerance of all people or something. And I was like, 1927? Okay. Good job, Napoleon Hill. <laughs> yeah. We're still working on that now. <laughs> Yeah, and he had, he had a vision as well for how um, the the business world would be and how leadership would be. And he he really was ahead of his time. Um, there is no doubt about that. And we are, I think, still catching up with what he thought leadership and business could be. Sure. And I remember, you know, just as we talked about it, because of its time, some of the things that he says, we've basically figured out how to apply them to what we're working with now, like social mm -hmm. media and how you represent yourself to um, people looking at your profile, for example. That's certainly not exactly what he was saying in 1927, but we can see how his principles can apply and how we can work with them um, in, in modern day. Mm. That is actually, that's also a very interesting point because as you know, I really like to, um, read up on and study about neuroscience. And one of the things that I find fascinating about reading this book is the insights that he had into the way the mind works. Um, and when I was preparing for this today, I uh, selected one of these little passages that makes me think, gosh, you know, again, this, this is a really <clears throat> interesting observation that he had at that time before any of the science would have been available to support it. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, this is from the chapter on auto-suggestion, which is basically a lot of what we would know today as things like affirmation and so on. Right. Um, and he says in it, do not become discouraged if you cannot control and direct your emotions the first time you try to do so. And that, of course, you know, relates very much to how things are in our brains as we try to um, use our neuroplasticity to change our habits. It takes effort and it takes time and it takes practice. Mm -hmm. So... That in itself is, is quite an insight, I think. And he goes on to say, remember, there is no such possibility as something for nothing. Ability to reach and influence your subconscious mind has its price and you must pay that price. 
You cannot cheat even if you desire to do so. The price of ability to influence your subconscious mind is everlasting persistence. In applying the principles described here, you cannot develop the desired ability for a lower price. You and you alone must decide whether or not the reward for which you are striving is worth the price you must pay for it in effort. I think that is just such um, such a deep way of looking at the things that we need to consider as we start businesses or as we start anything that's worth something to us in life. How much are we willing to put into it? I was listening to um, I was listening to uh, a coach the other day who asked us at the start of the session. It was a a big seminar session to analyze for ourselves at the start of the session how much focus we were willing to put into it on a scale of one to seven and then he also asked us how willing we were to be open to the process and the information that he was going to present again on that scale of one to seven and you know sometimes we have this knee-jerk reaction like I want to be the best in the class I'm definitely going to be a seven and you put your hand up for seven but seven isn't really where you are (laughs) and I think being honest with ourselves about this and being honest about the effort that we're willing to put in is something that is um, he he prompts us to look at and to ask ourselves in that passage. Absolutely. I think about that when um, I consider my commitments every day. There's some saying somewhere that talks about how we can easily overestimate what we can do in a day and underestimate what we can do in a year. And I totally agree. (laughs) And I, in the past, have been very guilty of that overestimation of what I can do in a day. But, you know, what you read makes me, it it sort of feels like it parallels the fact that now I'm very conscious of what I say that I will commit to in a day. It makes me think about if I'm actually going to get it done. Of course, I want to do everything that I feel like I should do. But instead... I look at, you know, what I'm willing to commit to and sort of understand that if I commit to too much and I don't do it, then that violates the trust I have with myself. Mm. And I'm not willing to do that. So I'm very careful now in what I actually say that I will complete today or any given day. Yes, absolutely. Because that's self-efficacy that trusting ourselves to do something that knowing that we have that capability and that um, consistency of success is something as well that we undermine by over committing to something and not getting it done uh-huh. we start to believe that we're the sort of person who doesn't get stuff done yes and nobody wants to be that person <laughs> no no they really don't it's really not good for you <laughs> was there anything that um, you had picked out Keely, in preparation for this Yes, there is um, a passage that's part of the introduction that um, actually a mentor of mine has pointed out that I've really been considering, and I think it's a really interesting passage. And it says, When the opportunity came, it appeared in a different form and from a different direction than Barnes had expected. This is one of the tricks of opportunity. It has a sly habit of slipping in by the back door, and often it comes disguised in the form of misfortune or temporary defeat. Perhaps this is why so many fail to recognize opportunity. 
And I think it's very insightful and and also true what we have to recognize is that there are plenty of opportunities all around us all the time, but we might not actually go forward in them because we don't know that, that it's an opportunity or it's because it's something that seems wrong or makes us afraid or something makes us shrink from it and then we miss it. But when instead, you know, I think also maybe more so when um, something happens that, you know, we feel like is a failure or some kind of problem, defeat, instead of approaching the so-called problem with a solution mindset and think the sort of the problem is the solution, then um, we don't, we miss it because we think it's a problem and that we sort of get stuck there. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's, it's one of those things where we, I, I suppose the Bruce Lee quote, be like water comes to mind in this, oh, that we have to remain open to possibility um, at, at every opportunity, really, and to see those opportunities. And yeah, that, that story about this guy Barnes, who um, had it in his mind that he wanted to be a business partner of Thomas Edison and um, set off on a, a, in the back of a, a, a train to head to uh, to meet Mr. Edison without basically a penny to his name, which is a very interesting story of determination. And mm. um, although we're not entirely sure what's left out of the story, I'm sure there are pieces that are left out, but it, it just really shows us that, yeah, you have to be willing to let go of your own expectations of how something might play out and accept that, yes, there are things that we need to scan the horizon for at every turn. And I'm sure this has happened to you as you develop your business as well, Keely. I mean, I know it certainly happened to me. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, business building does take many twists and turns. And some of the things that start out looking like a really good solution to something, um, they may either throw up uh, various issues or problems or whatever. Um, or you might then, just like Barnes, find the solution in a place that you were never expecting to find it. Sure. You know, when you when you mention, um, sort of think about the obstacle is the way, um, being, being dissatisfied is, with my job as a teacher came a lot from red tape, um, meetings, etc. Those are the things that I didn't really like. And I decided at one point to stop teaching and become a private tutor and develop a business in the tutoring industry a long, long time ago before it was like super popular like it is now. Um, but I could have stayed in teaching. I just didn't want to hate it. Like I loved kids and I loved academia and I was like, there's got to be something different that I can do. And there were times that I was super, super frustrated and I did stay, you know, I kept teaching for a while. If I had, um, made an exit earlier on, um, mm. you know, I would have been introduced to all the wonderful world, the wonderful things in the business world earlier. But mm. I know that in order to get here, I needed to be there. And so I can yeah. appreciate it now. Um, you know, I'm grateful for my time as a teacher, not just, not just because I figured out 
you know, something that was more fulfilling to me in a way for me to make a contribution to the world in a different way. Um, but also because of the people that I got to meet and the, you know, things I got to see and do. So I think, um, you know, gratitude is an important part of this discussion as well, because when you can see that, you know, the, the problem is the solution, then you can be grateful for the so-called problem as well. I remember somebody once saying, and it, it ties in, I think, a little with what you're saying here about, uh, you know, gratitude for the journey, that if you are looking back and um, blaming a certain set of situations for something that's gone wrong or something that you consider to be bad in your life, then you also have to give credit to that set of circumstances for all the things that are good in your life because Absolutely. they are one and the same journey. Right. And when you mention journey, you know, thinking that all of this is a journey and that there's not like a destination, I think that really helps in, in the appreciation. Like all of this is part of the experience. And it's not mm -hmm. like I'm here and I'm done. It's that, you know, I'm on a journey <laughs> this whole time. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that we've been doing in our reading of uh, this book is, of course, one of the many sets of questions that are <laughs> that are that are thrown in through it and i'm just gonna uh, find a couple of these here um in a chapter called organized planning he has a list of 28 questions you should answer and he thinks that we should do this at least once a year now these questions <laughs> there are 28 of them how many did we get through in the first week we we set aside an hour a week to read this book and i think did we maybe do 10 or 11 questions <laughs> Probably. <laughs> it certainly wasn't 28, I'll give you that. No, no, it was not. So, for instance, the first question is, have I attained the goal which I established as my objective for this year? And he says, you should work with a definite yearly objective to be attained as part of your major life objective. Now, of course, on the first reading of a book, you may not have set this goal. You may not even know what you want your goal to be. Sure. So you come to this self-analysis, you go, Oops, <laughs> right. No. I'm missing some serious information here. <laughs> and then, um, you know, some of the other questions would be, have I delivered service of the best possible quality of which I was capable or could I have improved any part of this service? So again, he prompts us to look at what we're doing to work out what it is that we can change about our habits, about our effectiveness, about how we serve our customers. Mm -hmm. And I think all of these are really useful prompts to do some deep investigation into how it is that we are showing up for people. Definitely. And I think he makes the point in here that you should do these with somebody who won't let you off the hook. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's important too, you know, just to make sure we're being completely transparent. Like, are you sure? Did you consider this other time? <laughs> but then part of the value also of looking at these with you you know, you mentioned, you know, did I give the best possible service or could I improve? And I was like, um, both, you know, mm. I don't, I don't think there's, for some of them, there's really an either or yes, I deliver okay. the best possible service of which I'm capable, or at least I was yesterday, you know, but mm. I make it a point to grow every day and improve every day. So of course there's the opportunity for improvement. Yeah. And I suppose that then, you know, that prompts us to do something like, right, well, let's list the ways that we can improve. Sure. Let's let's see what those ways are. Um, I mean, certainly for me, because I have a, a real 
devotion to lifelong learning. You know, this is something that I constantly like to do is mm. to add to the, the skills, the knowledge, the um, understanding that I have. And that for me is very much part of how I um, how I do things for my clients, because I can I can either set them off in a direction that they hadn't thought about before sometimes or, you know, just throw another perspective into something. Um, and that is, yeah, that that's useful. Um, it doesn't mean that everybody has to learn all the same stuff. And right. again, this this dynamic reading, this is why it's so helpful is because you come to it with a lifetime of experience that I'll never have. And I can learn from what you're doing and what, from, from what you have done as well. Sure. Yeah, that works both ways. So it's really nice to not be just reading alone in a room. You know? mm. <laughs> I and I have learn. to say, I'm, it is kind of dry and dusty if you're reading it on your own, isn't it? <laughs> Especially those questions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I hear it in the voice of, you know, a 1930s radio presenter. That's... Earl Nightingale. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, even older, I think, than Earl Nightingale. But yeah. <laughs> and did you have another bit, Keely, that you had chosen for today? Yes, I did. What was that? In the specialized knowledge chapter... I found a passage that I wanted to highlight that begins with this idea of starting at the bottom and working one's way up may appear to be sound, but the major objection to it is this. Too many of those who begin at the bottom never manage to lift their heads high enough to be seen by opportunity, so they remain at the bottom. It should be remembered also that the outlook from the bottom is not so very bright or encouraging. It has a tendency to kill off ambition. It pays to start one or two steps above the bottom. By so doing, one forms the habit of looking around, of observing how others get ahead, of seeing opportunity, and of embracing it without hesitation. And that just makes me think about the notion that you are the average of the five people you hang around or you mm. spend the most time with because you can either, you know, be with other people who can't lift their heads high enough to see opportunity, or you could be with people who do a lot of observing and sort of, and who you can observe, you know, mm. moving ahead and you, they, you can lift yeah. each other up. Exactly. Are those people encouraging you to go forward or are those people not really willing to support you because it makes them uncomfortable if you change. Sure. And mm. also, can they show you things that you didn't think of? You know, mm. other opportunities that are available, other ways of going about something. And can you do the mm. same for them? Yeah. Yeah, that I, I totally, totally agree with you. That support and that um, that community aspect of of development is really, really important. And I've seen this playing out for people um, in some of my groups and, you know, even the people closest to them who obviously want the best for them and they want them to do well and they want them to succeed. They that they can still sometimes be um, an inhibitor to oh, sure. development because the change and the the new way that they have to look at this person in their life becomes an issue and they don't really know how to adjust or how to adapt to that. So that that starts to be, be um, I guess, something that is a little bit 
of tension in the relationship. Sure. And their discomfort also can lead them to, I guess, sort of lean toward how can the other person not change? Not in a bad way, but trying to protect the other person and, and, you know, saying the things like, well, I really think you should consider this, though. Don't do that. Consider this because, and I'm just doing this because, you know, I'm, I'm trying to look out for you. I'm trying to work in your best interests. Um, mm -hmm. And hearing that, you know, is nice in a way because, you know, someone else is looking out for you. But mm -hmm. if they're sort of not looking for opportunity the way that you are or they're not um, trying to make quantum leaps in their life like you are, then it can be an inhibitor. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Keely, we're actually out of time, believe it or not. That oh. just flew by. Sure um, <laughs> it's, it's always so much fun to read these things with you, though. Um, so I want to say thank you again for coming to do this with me today, because uh, I know that you have a busy day and I am very grateful for your time. Well, it's my pleasure. And thank you for the invitation. I always love discussing things with you and, you know, I'm happy to be a part. So I'm honored to be one of your guests. Thank you, Keely. And look, if anybody who's listening wants to find out more about um, the dynamic group readings or any of the other support that we offer, head on over to ambitionincubator.com forward slash collective and you will find out everything that we get up to in our groups over there. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. Um, there will be some information and details about Keely in the show notes, as always, and uh, links to anything else that we refer to. Take care for now, and I will see you next week. You've been listening to the Ambition Incubator podcast, your weekly source for brain science tools, tips, and techniques. Thanks for taking the time to tune in. It's why I want to make sure that every single episode contains game changers with the potential to elevate your performance and enjoyment to the next level in all areas of life. If you want to catch up between shows, check the show notes for my links. Meanwhile, if you hit subscribe right now, you'll always be first to hear when the next episode is available. Until then, my friend, imagine the possibilities.